Do you enjoy watching behind the scenes documentaries? I do. And one of the best I've seen is called The Edge, about the England cricket team's rise to number one in the world rankings. Watching how they achieved it, seeing what sportsmen and women go through to do the things we cheer them on for was fascinating and terrifying to see. It's made me think twice about criticising sports stars for not performing as I might like or expect them to. Another documentary was in the news this week. 50 years ago, Her Majesty the Queen allowed BBC cameras to follow the royal family for a year. However, she regretted it afterwards and asked the BBC to withdraw it and never show it again. It briefly resurfaced on YouTube this week before being taken down. Now, like an ordinary bookshelf, I have some examples here from ours. The Bible is made up of at least seven different genres, from historical narrative to letters to song to law and so on. Daniel is part historical narrative and part apocalyptic, which we might call a behind-the-scenes documentary. The word apocalypse is simply Greek for unveiling or revealing. Other examples in the Bible come in the prophets and revelation. Paying attention to genre is important. After all, it would be pretty boring to read the dictionary from cover to cover, and it would make no sense to read a biography by looking up random words one after another. The point of apocalyptic writings in the Bible is to show what's really happening now and to give a sense of what is going to happen in the future. They are more like a peek behind the curtain than a full reveal, as much, if not more, is left hidden than is made known. The purpose, though, the purpose, is to encourage God's people that God knows what's happening, even the stuff that's left hidden, and that he is ultimately in charge. The point is to encourage God's people so we put our trust in him and not despair when things get bad, even really bad. So with that in mind, let's do a quick recap and then dive into our passage for today. Daniel is in Babylon. He was exiled from his home in Jerusalem by the Babylonians and selected along with three other Jews to be assimilated and trained in Babylonian culture. He stood up though and refused to eat their food to help remind himself of his true home that he really belongs to God. Last week, we heard about Nebuchadnezzar, who had a dream. For whatever reason, he didn't trust his advisers and demanded they tell him both what the dream was and what it meant, or he would cut them into pieces. They couldn't do it, of course, so he ordered the deaths of all the wise men in Babylon. When the king's executioner arrived to kill Daniel and his friends, Daniel stayed calm, though. He worked out what was going on, he trusted God, involved his friends, prayed to God and then praised God when God revealed to him both the dream and its interpretation. And so we pick events up on the following morning. Verse 24. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon and said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king 
and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. I wonder what the most dangerous or, or worrying meeting you've ever had was. I remember once at school, it was my turn to take the registers to the school office after registration. And like many schools, we had a terrifying deputy head teacher and his office was on the floor below the school office. When I arrived with the registers, I had to walk past the deputy's office to get to the stairs. And I saw he had a boy in there with him who was being yelled at for spraying deodorant into someone's face. As I walked up the stairs, the volume of the yelling started to increase until as I was handing the registers to the office staff, he suddenly yelled so loudly the room literally shook and I jumped out of my skin. I wasn't even the one being yelled at, but I was terrified. Are you calling me a liar, boy? He yelled. It's easy to gloss over how dangerous these meetings were for Daniel. As we saw last week, the king was arrogant, powerful and extremely dangerous. This Arioch was no ordinary soldier, but captain of the king's guard and the executioner. Daniel was taking a big risk having these meetings. And did you notice, Arioch tried to take the credit. In verse 25, I have found a man, he said. Sure, he found him by knocking on his front door to kill him. Taking credit for other people's ideas and work is nothing new. And it was in total contrast to Daniel. Verse 27, Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Daniel didn't take any credit, but gave it all to God. The king's pagan advisers were right. There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks, they cried. But Daniel knew and trusted in the God in heaven, who not only knows but also reveals mysteries. This meeting with this awful king and the king's executioner was a huge risk. It was dangerous. But Daniel trusted God to see him through, the God in heaven. And so... He shared the dream with the king in verses 31 to 35. I'll summarise it for you. Nebuchadnezzar's dream was of a large statue, enormous and dazzling. Its head was made of pure gold. Its chest and arms were of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron and its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. It was a wonderful statue. Then a rock was cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the statue at its feet and the gold, the silver, the bronze and the iron were smashed and broken into tiny pieces, so small that the wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue grew and became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. 
That was the dream. No wonder Nebuchadnezzar was troubled by it. In 2006, Baywatch star David Hasselhoff was thrown out of Wimbledon. He tried to barge into the tennis player's private bar after drinking all day, and as he was escorted out by security, he yelled, All I want is a drink! Don't you know who I am? I imagine Nebuchadnezzar swelled with even more pride than he already had when Daniel started interpreting the dream. Everyone knew who Nebuchadnezzar was. His face was on all the coins. He conquered kings. In fact, his title was the King of Kings. And in the dream, Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold. Verse 37, the God of heaven has given you, Daniel said, dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. This king of kings, Nebuchadnezzar, was proud. Can you see him swelling with pride at this? We'll pause here for a moment. Daniel's words are shocking, but also reassuring. They are shocking. God has given you dominion and power, he said. This awful king somehow was there by God's will. We don't know why. We aren't told why. Remember that revealing this genre of, of apocalypse, of revelation, revealing is it's peeking behind the curtain, not a full reveal. The why stays hidden. But enough is revealed to reassure us that God is behind all of this and that he is at work even if we can't understand how. The golden head was Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian empire. But then Daniel says, after you. Now, you don't say stuff like that to emperors and dictators, at least not if you want to keep your head. But he ploughed on. After you, he said, there will be other empires. So like the golden head stood for Babylon, the silver chest and arms, the bronze belly and thighs, the legs and the feet of iron and clay, they stood for the empires that then followed Babylon. The silver was the Persian Empire, which conquered Babylon in 539 BC. The bronze is the Greek Empire, which under Alexander the Great conquered Persia in 331 BC. The iron and clay is the Roman Empire, which then conquered Greece in 63 BC. The rock, though, stood for a different kingdom, which, in verse 44, will never be destroyed. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever, Daniel says. Unlike the earthly kingdoms, which started big and ended up small as dust, which could be blown away, this kingdom started as a small rock, but grew to become a huge mountain. And when would this happen? Daniel says God would set up this fifth kingdom in the time of those other kings, verse 44. Can you think of any kingdoms that might fit the bill? What about this one? After John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. 
The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Mark 1 verses 14 and 15. Peter, whose name means rock, called Jesus the living stone, the cornerstone, the foundation of God's people and kingdom. The fifth kingdom is God's and its king is Jesus. He is the rock and his kingdom grows and grows and grows. So what can we take away from this dream? Well, first, it busts the lie of human progress. The dream starts with gold and ends with clay. I dread to think what that makes our world today after 2,000 more years of degrading and decline. Things do not get better. They get worse, from gold to silver to bronze to iron to clay and whatever is now. History is not steady progress but decline and degeneration. Second, human empires and kingdoms are God's will for now but not forever. Terrifying and fierce and brutal and all-powerful they may appear but the truth is they will end up like chaff, dust that is left over from threshing wheat and is blown away by the wind. For the Israelites in exile, under occupation, that must have been hard to believe. For us today, it is hard to believe that the mighty culture of the Western world might fall. Yet it will, one day, go the way of all other human empires. The wind will sweep it away without a trace. Third, behind and above and before and after all those empires is the God of heaven. Though the earth might be shaken, he stands secure. After the interpretation of the dream, Nebuchadnezzar placed Daniel in a high position, made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men, verse 48. Then Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, were made chief ministers over the province of Babylon, verse 49. God's faithful people, these four men, were placed in high office. And I wonder how many lives they were able to save. How much good they were able to do from those positions of authority. At the very heart of God's enemies, in the very centre of their government, stood Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, four Jewish exiles, far from home, but not far from God. The book of Daniel offers us a peek behind the curtain, and in doing so, it offers hope. When it talks about the decline of history and centuries of brutal occupation and rule and empire after empire, that might sound like an odd thing to say. Hope? Hope? It's depressing. The prophecy that Daniel made, uh, that Daniel revealed through that dream given to Nebuchadnezzar, was 500 years in the making. And yet, it is real hope. 
Because it isn't wishful thinking. It is the honest truth that human power is real and often fearsome and often lasts for a long time. But it is hope because that power and destruction is limited and it is temporary. It will not last, but God, he lasts forever. Things got much worse for Daniel and his friends, as we will discover over the coming weeks. But God stayed faithful and true. And 500 years later, he sent Jesus, the living stone, to fulfill this very prophecy and to begin his kingdom, the kingdom of God, the rock that will never be destroyed, but endure forever. And that, my friends, is a truth, a hope worth hanging on to. Let's pray. Father, as we face so much turmoil and pressure and challenge and difficulty, just like Daniel and the exiles, may we have hope, real hope, not wishful thinking, but hope based on the truth that however long human power might last, however awful it is, you are in charge, you will prevail and your kingdom will never end. Help us live, not for earthly power, but for Jesus. Help us live under his rule, under his authority, following him together every day and in every way. Amen.